I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome to Mischief Makers, your one-stop shop for all things mischief. Join your host, Dave Hearn, as he finds out what makes mischief, well, mischief. Oh, it's counted us in, and we're we're beginning. Right, okay, that's a strong start. Um, Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Mischief Makers with me, Dave Hearn. Uh, today, I am very excited to be talking to Mischief's Company and Artistic Directors, Jonathan Sayer and Henry Lewis. Hello, John and Hen. Hello. Hello. Hi, hi, hi. hi. That was synced. That was very good. Um, I should also say, as well as directors, they are also my friends. So I, you know, class you as friends as well as directors. Well, that's, um, that's very nice. Yeah. Uh, so how, today, how I mean... No, go on, go on. I just, just, uh, I'd, I'd be sad if I wasn't seen as your friend. That's very true. That's very true. Um, I also just discovered that I think there's a slight delay on the line, so this is very strange. It's going to be like there a is, weird there is. beat where we not quite sure. So listen out for that, listeners. Um, so today we are going to chat about what it was like to bring Mischief Movie Nights, which has traditionally been a stage show, from stage to stream. Now, I did plan out a few questions, but we got so many responses from Twitter that I'm just going to select a few, and we can go from there. Also, I should say before we start that I should thank Beth, a.k.a. at Theatre Nerd, for suggesting that we do a podcast talking about the changes of transferring it from stage to stream. So thank you, Beth. Um, so we will dive straight in with the first question. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Dave, as well. And- oh, no, go on. You, I don't want to interrupt. No, I thanks. just wanted to say thank you. And, and well done. Because <laughs> I, uh, well, I, I, I remember doing, I think I, I, was, I did a, an early edition of this podcast. Um, and that was great fun. And, and uh, since then, it's become, uh, it's become, you know, fabulous. And there's been so many great episodes with different mystery people. Mm. So congrats on such a great podcast. A worldwide hit. Um, and I pay myself mm. in the joy of the podcast. That's the that's all <laughs> during this crazy time. Um, so let's start immediately with Laura. So Laura asks, was there anything about the virtual shows that you think you will take back to the stage version? I really liked how there was an added layer of interaction. 
So I, I really liked the stuff that we got off social media, the awards and the other little bits and pieces, because I thought that they really added an extra level of of how the audience could impact on the show. So it wasn't just the kind of framework, which the kind of genre and the location give you. Like there were things that were more at the center and the spine of the show. And I thought that was fun and genuinely made each show quite different because, you know, some of the, sometimes the suggestions that came up from the awards really fit into what was um, what was collected earlier by me. So, for example, Light on the Rocks, the Chesney Hawks suggestions, that all kind of fit totally like a glove. Whereas there were other shows where those awards, they were, they were harder to get in and they really impacted on the story. So we did that crazy panto episode and um, Josh was the wizard. And I thought that was, that, that was really fun because without those suggestions, that story would have gone a completely different way, I would imagine. So I quite like that. I thought it kept us honest and it, kept the sh- it really gave the show an added sense of danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. That's true. I remember playing um, Greg Danvers, the guy with all the ducks in his coat, uh, which I think <laughs> would be. And then the ducks became quite integral to the to the story. So yeah, I think there was we got quite a few little gems out of that. Obviously, Delta Von Tussle mm. as well um, from Mr. Harry. Yeah, Kershaw. yeah. So many, so many great suggestions. I mean, the loneliest conga line I thought was just hilarious. <laughs> the the pogo themed restaurant. There were so many amazing things that came out of those suggestions i thought it was it was so cool um yeah loads of loads of great things i thought that it was cool because um ordinarily you know you do a theater run and it kind of i don't know tickets are a bit more expensive you've got to go out to go and see it um but this time because tickets were only 10 pounds and people could watch it from home i think pe- more people watch lots of different shows and obviously the beauty of it is it's different every night so you can watch more than one and so that was really cool so we had people watching i mean lo- loads it's you know it seems lots and lots of people have watched we've just started to break down i think some of the the ticket data and we've seen that you know hundreds of people watched i think all 26 and that's just amazing wow. you know you'd never you'd never have that in the theater so i think maybe there's a future version of it where it's kind of both we have the fun of the live audience and the atmosphere in the room, but also, um, also there's maybe a live stream element to it as well, so that people can can tune in and, and watch kind of every episode in the same way you would a TV show. Yeah, because I think like I was wondering, and it's actually a kind of sub question to this that lots of people have have asked is when it goes back into theatre, is that will you live stream those shows? Um, and obviously, like a West End theatre might not have the infrastructure to set up a. A, a kind of secure streaming um but yeah would it be a case of do you think that it would go back to a studio maybe 200 people or something like that and then stream it out i think that would be really fun i think that would be great like to have something that feels more like when we record the goes wrong show but probably on a slightly smaller scale but something that feels something that is a kind of cross between a theater and something totally different so you can have that I thought the real, the, one of the real bonuses of the of the streamed environment in our little bunker was the fact that people could jump into literally another space, and that meant that you could cut. And because we're doing a movie show, that really helps with the show anyway. You, when you can literally cut away to the jungle with the green screen little space that we had and stuff, and you can cut back to another scene. And I thought that made it more filmic. I thought it made the comedy move quicker, which is really helpful. And it made something that when you're watching it down the at home on your computer or whether you've hooked it up to your telly or whatever, it it looked like it was bespoke for that. So it didn't just look like, oh, there's some cameras filming something that should be in a theatre. And actually, I feel like a kind of second audience, you know, where you feel like the audience in the theatre are the audience and then I'm the audience behind that audience watching from home. 
everyone was just the audience. And I think that's that's always the difficulty when you're doing something that is theatrical that's being filmed. And I thought that doing it in a little studio environment kind of bypassed that. And I I, I think it'd be really, really fun. To, I think it'd be, obviously, it would be great to have a bit of an audience in there because we all know that, that when we were doing that, it was, I'm sure we'll get onto it, but like, it, it, you know, the, the environment that we were in was remarkable because it was just totally silent, which isn't usually the friend of comedy. But what I thought was amazing was like Hensis, because there was so many people tuning in again and again and again, there was this extra level of community that was added that I don't even think you get in the theatre because you don't get like the suggestions being jokes that are kind of referencing other nights' performances. And you really felt like there was a little communal thing being created there. And that was really, really fun. So I'd love to keep that. And I think a studio with an audience is the way of doing that, probably. Seeing like people as well in the participation panel in their house as well just gave it a really kind of nice, kind of cozy feel, which I really loved. Like it's kind of, I don't know, like it's never like watching TV and watching something at home on your TV. It's never, I don't know, you never really feel like you're watching, you never really feel like there's other people there, you know, obviously watching with you. But obviously, quite often, you know, if you're watching something on television, you know, millions of other people will be watching. So it's, yeah, it was really cool to kind of get a bit of a view into people's houses. And it was just a nice, cozy kind of together feeling, which I really liked. Well, that actually kind of leads us on quite nicely to the the next question, which is from Chris, which was, um, how different was it performing to cameras? How did you get the camera staff in? And who were they? Well, they were the incredible umbrella rooms. Mm. That that yeah. um, with Nathan, who they they were um, they were they were the camera team, and they were absolutely brilliant. I thought because because a lot of it w- w- was kind of being like designed as we were going along, because we literally we could have so little contact with them until we were in the space for that very small period of time, and we you know when we'd had all of our testing, we were all masked and all that kind of stuff. So it was very hard to have conversations beforehand. But I thought the way in which they worked out how to just how to deal with little things like the latency issues that happen. Like, you know, if you're watching it on that stream, you're a couple of seconds behind the people that are watching on the participation audience, just because one's using zoom and one's not. And there's all those different things where we, you know, they were, they were coming up with such amazing solutions to make sure as many people could watch the show and the show was accessible. And also that it was that, you know, it was that we, they were dealing with stuff with just technical issues that were coming up. But I thought they were, I thought they were amazing. I thought they really were amazing the way that they, it looked like a little TV show, I thought, and, and they were they were brilliant. We sort of experimented with a few different ways of doing it. We had monitors in the end sort of facing the stage so that you could see if you were standing at the side, you could kind of see what the shots were. Mm. The cameras also have what are called tally lights, which are little red lights that come on uh, and they shift from camera to camera. So we have about five different cameras. Um, and when that camera is on, that red light comes on, so you kind of know exactly <laughs> where to sort of where to place things, or if you're looking into the camera, you know which camera to look into, uh, and that's really useful. And um, yeah, and I think we kind of we sort of got into the swing of it. I think um, you know because I think at the beginning in the first few shows in December, I think we were still playing it like it was a stage show. You know, things were quite big. We were striding around the stage quite a lot, and then I think we started to settle down into. Uh, you know, just slightly smaller physical things, you know, quite often it was just, you know, just two people in a two shot or whatever, or, you know, uh, you know, it became a little bit more sort of static, although there's lots of still sort of physical comedy in there. Uh, the scenes became a little bit more, uh, we, we just, I think we learned a lot about how to, how to do those scenes and how to make them just a, a bit simpler and how to just 
focus on people's faces and expressions and all that kind of thing. I thought the story of the story of how you do an improv show was was um, was captured more in the streamed version. So little mm-hmm. things that, like for example, the the story of like Harry Kershaw and kind of what he'd end up doing that night. That wouldn't normally be a thing in a theatre show, but I thought that was really caught up with just the fact that, you know, often Harry forgets names and also the fun that we're having with him and the, the kind of daft pretend relationship that, that me and has kind of developed during that run of, you know, me kind of <laughs> trying to put him more and more on the spot and then him trying to get revenge and stuff. I think all that picks up so much more on the camera because it just takes you back to, again, when we were doing... Mischief Movie Night is Lights, Camera, Improvise in Edinburgh in more intimate fringe venues. There is that that relationship with the audience is a little bit more intense and a little bit more present because the audience can literally see the whites of your eyes and they can see the moments in an improv show where you've got nothing or, or where you've forgotten. They're one step ahead. And I thought you had that back with the cameras because they can you can see people's panic. You can see that they forgot before they show it by trying to speak. You can... The audience can intuit that, and, and that was that was really really fun. Just yeah, a little note on the up. cameras, on the yeah. light that you said, because obviously I did one show. I didn't bring my glasses to that show because I kind of thought oh, they'll get in the way. <laughs> I could not see those lights. I had no idea where where to look. And if you want it, like I've, we've got the kind of archive of, of that recording, and I, I I'm constantly looking around trying to find where I should be looking. So you've yeah, got that it, was, to me. it was a weird one because I think like I definitely remember when those first shows when we didn't have the monitors because we were really worried <laughs> if we had monitors facing the stage that we'd be able to see ourselves performing and it would just mm. be like a really weird experience. But actually, in terms of positioning on the stage and knowing where the shot is, really it really helps. But it's it's a strange thing because you're kind of splitting your brain into like three pieces anyway because you're going okay, mm. so what am I improvising? What's the overall story and how can I kind of fit into it? What's the comedy rhythm of each scene? But actually, there's a fourth part as well where you're going, don't worry about those parts of your brain, just be in the moment with the other person. And then there's this like fifth part where you're just like, how does it look? Where am I positioned on the screen? If I stand here, can I actually be seen? Because I remember really early on, there was loads of stuff that we were doing coming in from the sides or like big entrances and stuff. And just so much of it was missed. And I remember watching a few shows back and just being like, oh, yeah, we're just running on like we would at a theatre show and kind of drawing attention to ourselves. But the kind of camera shot doesn't allow for that. So, yeah, I think you were right and that we got a lot better at just kind of doing what felt like more static scenes and slightly more mm. smaller performances. But it, that intimacy actually gives the audience a, a, a better access into the, the kind of comedy and the thought process behind it what someone is going through in that like very specific moment which i think yeah you don't really get in a in a theater of 600 people because we're just running around screaming (laughs) yes um so question three here i believe we actually i don't know if this was intentional but we used this lady's name in a in one of our rehearsals her name is calatoly jones and i think she yeah, I think I think it came up in a show, didn't it? I think I think I th- I believe I believe it came up in a show. Classically well, I wonder changed. if Flatley has changed her name since then, or we just it was Maybe. in our subconscious somewhere. But very it's weird. a great yeah, name. Very weird. It's a great name. Um, but actually, this kind of goes on from what you were saying, John, about Harry and stuff. Said some of the characters got a very warm reception, and there was a great deal of support for them to return, uh, or for there to be a kind of related character. 
was it a conscious decision not to bring them back or did they just not fit into the story? No, there was, I think. Um, I think we did discuss, because we, we, we could see on Twitter, particularly on the last night, the, 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 we could see there was a desire for Delta Von Tussle to return to the, to the stream for the evening. Yeah. But I think that, I think there's, there's two reasons why in the end Delta didn't come back. One, because the people that are watching, they're not always totally the same people. So you've got to balance the idea that, yeah, there might be 500 people who are watching the stream tonight who are desperate for Delta. But there's another 2,000, 3,000 that don't know who Delta is. So you want to make sure that everyone's kind of able to join the joke immediately rather than having to catch up and be like, oh, I don't really know what this is. Because improv on the night is you know can feel like a bit of an in-joke and it's fine if everyone who's in the audience is part of that in-joke but if half of them are excluded from it then it, it it can lead to difficulties and then i think the second one is just like when you know someone's going to appear then it, it's just not improvised in the same way and i think then it turns into more like you know it's more about sketch comedy with familiar characters and that's not what this show is I think this show is literally about people being disarmed and not know not knowing what's going to happen next. As we said, particularly with Harry, that's kind of his shtick. So I think once you once you have him reprising roles, then I think you you lose some of the joy of of um, it's, it's like the whole trousers in the cabinet thing, right? That was brilliant. But the, the 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 thing that makes that so funny and so special is the fact that that's the one time it will happen and then it's done and then it's gone. And then tomorrow, it's something totally different. And I think once you start just doing it again and again, then that's not quite what improv is. Yeah, it's the kind of nature of it that uh, it's almost quite like those moments are quite precious. But actually, that's what gives them value is that yeah. it's going, oh, we can do a whole trowel in the Cabernet skit. But actually, like, it, it was that thing where you have to be there for that night to see that specific thing. And then it comes and it goes. And like when we did the sequels, like when we did the sequel in the evening, I really enjoyed doing the sequel, but that was a really strange experience because you're doing everything you can in your mind to make sure you're not making choices during the lunch break or whatever. Or you, 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 yeah, because you, yeah. you, you, you want you want it to stay improvised because that's the thing that makes it good. That's the thing that makes it fun. So you don't want to have too much time to make decisions. You don't want to know. Oh, at some point, um, you know, Bri's going to come on and reprise what she did a couple of nights ago because. Because then you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna go into the show having made judgments and having made some kind of decisions, even if they're in your subconscious. Like you're gonna have decided some stuff, and you you don't want that. You want to keep yourself as honest as possible. Yeah, and Hen, we you ever tempted to bring any of your many memorable characters back? <laughs> no, I think for the same reason John said. I mean, I think we did. We Delta von Tassel did appear in a second show briefly or there was reference to him i think I, I introduced him again and i think that and i was that was early on i think as a sort of experimental uh, thing and i think that um i think that it was clear from that moment that like yes that was maybe funny as one reference but actually to do any more than that would be problematic because as john says yeah people just don't know what that is unless they were there for the other show um and you know yeah you don't want to you don't want to exclude those people yeah, uh, so I think yeah, on, on, on the whole, I think it's best to best to separate them, unless of course we're doing the sequel Sunday show, in which case, obviously, it's all reincorporated stuff. Yeah, and I think it's um, because I agree as well. Like it's yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, isn't it, John? Is that you don't want to make it a a kind of in joke, particularly. You want to make it accessible for everybody, particularly if you bought a ticket. It's like 
we don't have to have seen another six shows to kind of get a lot of the references in it. Um, exactly, and, and the talk- magic of improv. Sorry, you go. Uh, no, 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 go. No, just just that, that that that's what makes it special for the audience. That it's it's a show specifically just for them that they're designing, they're adding to. And if there's any sense of just like, oh, some of this was done last Wednesday, then for some of those audience members, then they've lost a huge part of what the USP of an improv show is about. Yeah, and I think there's definitely um, kind of as well what you were saying, Hen, with when you brought back Delta Von Tussle, it kind of actually uh, sort of echoes a, a larger thing that we talked about quite a lot, which was this this idea of a complete leap of faith because you don't have a studio audience in the room and because even with the participation panel, we weren't getting the, the audio feedback from them, so we couldn't hear them laughing or clapping or whatever. You're kind of delivering jokes or trying out new things and just assuming with a complete blind faith that it works um, yeah. without ever really knowing. It's definitely and, harder, I think. Mm, yeah, and I think it's one of those things that took us definitely a long time to get used to. Um, but actually, it's one of the, this is a question that Eric asked, which is uh, how challenging is it to work without an in-house audience and how do you take on those challenges? Um, which is kind of, yeah, that idea of not having <laughs> it definitely, kind of feedback. Definitely trickier. Like, I mean, I think that obviously with an audience, that, you know, when jokes land and, and things really work, that's clear and you kind of know, well, this is a, maybe a fun territory and we kind of know uh, to, to go into that a bit further and have a bit more fun with that or maybe, you know, uh, John will note it down and we'll come back to it later and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and so you, you, you just have that kind of north star to kind of guide you through it a bit. Without that, you're kind of just... And obviously, like, normally, like, I think, you know, you kind of know what's funny and what's not and usually there'll be a bit of laughter in the room we can sort of see the audience participation panel on the monitor sometimes although we can't hear them but you can see people laughing uh or if people clap you can see that (laughs) so you kind of have a bit of a steer there and and particularly you know oscar or emmy can can see that but generally yeah i mean you're you're taking a plunge on stuff and sometimes there's surprises you know there's sometimes things that happen in a show that go under the radar a bit in the room and actually if you look on social media afterwards that that was a really enjoyed moment and also vice versa there's things maybe in the room that uh, we are all all quite excited about but actually i don't know maybe they they don't quite work or um you're also not entirely sure where the shot is at all times sometimes things just aren't quite seen in the same way uh so there's always a few surprises Uh, but i think we i think we got a little bit better as we went along at just being relaxed with no laughter mm. um the first show i think we I, I personally was definitely really just like wow this is you know this is really weird you know really odd feeling um yeah and but but then yeah as the more we, we went on i think it just became became a bit more kind of regular um still tricky to judge but yeah we i think we got used to the, the, the yeah. difference i remember the first five um Nance actually after yeah after those first five because she came back in after the after the new year and I sort of kind mm. of over egged the pudding a bit with Nance I think I was like I I can't quite describe how um, withering the feeling is just being in a in a room <laughs> with no audience and you're doing things that you think is like really funny or it's different if you're a stand up and you've got a set 
set amount of jokes or you've written a comedy show or whatever, but you're improvising things in the moment <clears throat> that you're like, I think this is funny, but I have absolutely no idea. And I remember saying to Nancy, I was like, I, I, I can't describe how awful that feeling is initially, particularly in that first show, because you, you just have no idea. And it is just a case of getting used to it, doing a few shows. And I'm not one usually to pay too much attention to social media, but it's your only form of feedback. And um, kind of realising as you said, mm. then, like specific moments that people pick up on are the the way, yeah, your way in of going, okay, yeah, that I wasn't going mad. Okay, people found that funny. Okay, good. I'm getting a kind of sense of, of what's working and what's not working. I think the first few shows were particularly... Like I, I, we don't really get. I've not seen everyone very nervous for a very long time, and people were really like, I was shaking before we did that first show because, yeah, it was just. I think what's important to 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 describe as well is it's not just an empty room while you're doing it. Like it's it's much more than that because it's a it's almost a medically sterile room. So it's not just empty; it's sterile. Like it's being deep cleaned with like UV lights and stuff every night. The only thing that you're looking back on isn't emptiness. It's a couple of people with cameras who are really far away wearing big masks, you know, with, with, so it feels kind of extra silent and just, and you've not seen everyone all day. So it's not like you're all kind of relaxed and limber. We're not allowed in until the last possible second. And we've all been like medic, you know, we've all had nasal and throat swabs not long before performing. So the, the, the vibe is particularly unique. Um, and yeah, I think I think probably after the first three or four, we got better because, like you said, Dave, I think it was just we heard back from you know Twitter and stuff that people were enjoying it. Mm. Can you hear a Bing Bong? Yeah, and it's it's a really strange a Bing Bong. No, you're yeah, getting do, some messages. No. Yeah, there's the, yeah the messages coming through. I'm trying to make it stop, but as, as long as the listeners at home can't hear it, that's that's good. No, I can't hear it. But um, I can't you know, hear it. But I am any... regularly emailing you in order to disrupt <laughs> your feed. <laughs> just disrupting the rhythm. Just like emailing you, saying, "John, terrible job, terrible comments." <laughs> um, so no, I was quite nervous about this podcast uh, today. Is from Tia. Can I just Jim add, Dave? I was Jim just. I was quite nervous about this podcast today because you both have very, very good voices for podcasts. You've both got excellent radio voices. Um, and I was a bit worried that um, I'd feel vocally inferior to both of you. But um, I'm enjoying this. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's silly. No I, I, no, I mean, you know, I think you sound great, John. Well, you're, yeah, you're both I mean, the equivalent of a, an old barrel scotch and a hot chocolate. <laughs> No, you sound great, though. <laughs> radio. Now, that was quite predatory, wasn't it? That we should probably... That's not going to get cut. <laughs> All right, no, but I'm going to move us out. I'm going to move us out. Next question. All right. Um, when the theatres had to close again in December, who first suggested mm. trying a live stream of Mission Movie Night? And did the rest of the company need much convincing? It must have been a further step out of your comfort zones. My family and I love them. Pure joy. Well, thank you. Um, I think I think I was the first person to suggest this and had the idea hmm. up my sleeve because 
before we knew that we were going to be able to go back and do something over Christmas, I thought well, maybe we could try and do something where it's just us. Um, and then we had so much fun doing the run at the vaudeville um, and being back on stage, being back with an audience, but just being back in a room together as, as kind of friends. Um, I think we just tried to do what we could to, to carry that on. We thought that maybe there's a, you know, it, it would be nice to give people something to get them through, particularly through Christmas where it's such a, you know it is a communal time it is about people coming together so we kind of thought well, i wonder if there's a way of virtually helping people come together even if they they potentially can't um and i don't know i think everyone was i, I think like, like one of the really great things about mischief is i think that people are always up for giving something a go and you know i think have the mantra of kind of it's not a mistake if you learn from it so everyone just i think everyone was pretty on board and we we, we did it you know, obviously it was a step into the dark and it, it was all right. It's turned out being, it's turned out to be quite fun. And I think um, has probably, like we were talking about at the beginning, moved this show on in a few ways. Like we found some new things that actually have, have improved it. Like it's not just been a theatre show, but less good because it's streamed. It's been a, it's been a streamed, slightly unique format that has been born out of what's happening at the moment. I don't, I don't know what you two think. Maybe you two didn't like the idea. I don't, I don't know. But I thought everyone was supportive and, in, and we all got behind each other. Yeah, I thought everyone really jumped in. But I, I think that, um, I mean, I thought it was a, a good idea. And I thought, you know, like, like I was really excited to do it. But I think, I, I mean, I think we all were, were sort of unsure really whether it would work, how well it would work. Um, and I think we were really, really delighted that it seemed to sort of work really well and actually have a whole other thing to it that you actually you don't have in the live theater there were sort of lots of interesting and fun aspects you know we talked about earlier but um yeah I, I think no I think I think it was I mean it came together so so quickly mm. I mean we we were sort of I can't remember the dates but I mean that 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 you know West End was and, and all theaters were closed down I don't know it was about the 14th or 15th or something or just a few days you know 10 days a week before Christmas um, and so we said, well, let's just do it. Let's put this on sale. Um, and we put it on sale, I think, on the 17th or something of December. Um, so it was ve- all that came together very, very quickly. We sorted a venue. We sorted the Umbrella Rooms guys to come in and film it. Uh, we got our creative team, lighting designer and everyone down, uh, production manager down from the Vaudeville to sort of set up this space. And we were very fortunate to get the immersive London space. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we literally put together a, a bunker, you know, set, you know, within just a few days before Christmas. Um, and then that was kind of it. And then we went in and did the first show on the 27th. So it really, really came about insanely quickly. And I was just sort of really proud of everyone, you know, how quickly they managed to put it together. Um, we had, you know, like uh, particularly Martin Barrow, who does all our ticketing and stuff. He'd managed to figure out like how to get all, the, all of that set up and, you know, you know, does theatre ticketing mainly, you know, and this is a whole different system, obviously, where people have got to be sent the link and they've got to be able to log in and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm. So to get all that set up and on sale just so quickly, it was it was amazing. He worked really hard and there were so many other people, you know, Rona, who does all the social media, that's been such a big part of this. Um, she, she did so well, I thought, to just kind of get the word out and our whole marketing team. There's so many people. Um, Sarah and so Fiona well. and Kezia, who who did all, who literally just made so much just practically happen, just j- j- like so quickly, and but we, you know whilst not being able to see any of the spaces or, or properly speak to anyone, it was it was amazing how quickly it came together. And then yeah, like you said, Hen, like the work that Rona did, I thought was just amazing because I think that was 
in essence, a big part of that kind of community that was built. I think kind of Rona did a lot of that. Like she was staying up to like 3 a.m. every night tweeting, just kind of bringing people together so that not one single like comment or joke or, or question that anyone who had who was watching went unanswered. The same with Martin and Zoe, who were doing all the kind of audience, um, who were doing kind of custom, customer services stuff. So, you know, just literally just talking people through like if they're, streaming wasn't working or they didn't have signal or all that kind of stuff they were just working flat out to just make sure people could watch it i thought it was a, re- a real story of, of just like the power of teamwork i think like f- from all the performers yeah. but and, and all the creatives who made the bunker and stuff but also just like all the production team that set it all up i thought i thought it was just amazing like i, I genuinely i found it quite moving just how much everyone came together to just kind of create something yeah, and at a time when as well, like a lot of people don't want to take risks. You know, the natural response at yeah. the moment is to be like, "Well, let's let's just wait because the the theatres have just been closed." And actually, you know, particularly from producers and stuff, there's you know that that's there's a lot of expense that goes with that. And for everyone to just say, "Let yeah, let's carry on, let's let's find a way," I think that's I think that just you know we're we're very lucky to be working with the people that we do work with. Yeah, yeah I think I was going to ask as well, like how. Um, kind of further on from that how how closely do you do do we work with and how valuable is the link with like kenny wax for example because it's not just mischief kind of putting on the show there's a whole other kind of team involved yeah absolutely well no really valuable i think you know uh, kenny and mark are you know our producers um you know we're yeah absolutely instrumental in this and i think you know as John said, like we we just had a real blow, you know, to 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 have to close down the show at the Vaudeville in the first week, you know, was really really tough financially. You know, we literally just started. We were in the weakest financial position on the show you can possibly be in because you've spent all of the money initially to get the thing up and running, and you've only had you know literally a week of of um, you know we, we were doing reduced price tickets as well that week to try and really fill the theatre, which worked, but obviously we. Uh, you know, had taken less money, so it was a really difficult moment, um, and and obviously the show lost money, um, and so we, you know, yeah, we were in a really, a really, really difficult sort of spot, uh, and so as John says, yeah, I think you know, obviously, the I think you know, the safer thing would have been to just be like, well, you know, let's just cut our losses and stop, but actually, I think we found a way of of um, uh, you know of reinventing it, and that was really exciting, and um, and ended up actually making back the the losses we made at the Vaudeville, which was. I thought a real sort of uh, a real achievement from from everybody. Yeah, and I think it was really yeah, like you say, John, a real um, a real kind of team effort in, uh, in in kind of everyone getting it together and people taking a lot of risks, kind of personally, but also financially as well. To kind of when it when it's so much easier to kind of step back and just say, uh, oh, let's just let's just leave it until things are a bit more stable. Um, and I think that it felt like that risk kind of really paid off, particularly with everything to do with with the COVID measures and all that kind of stuff in place. Um, and actually, like that's something that uh, Tim Tim asks uh, you. I think you've touched on this sort of briefly, John, but maybe go into a bit more detail about how difficult were the kind of more kind of practical and technical aspects of putting the show online, given the restrictions of COVID. Well, I mean, there's the, there's first of all just how we all have to work just as performers, which is that um, we're effectively a small bubble. So that means that outside of doing those shows, we we were trying to you know do as as you know 
literally as, as little as, as, as possible. So, um, so, so there's that. And then there's the fact that we were being tested kind of what every, every day we were having rapid tests once we got to the venue. And then also twice a week we were having uh, PCR lab tests done as well. So there was a, you know, a huge amount of, of, of testing and all that kind of stuff, like no one being able to travel on public transport. So everyone traveling in very kind of unusual, isolated ways. And then not being able to, like a lot of what Mischief do is it's, it's um we're a collaborative company like there, there rarely is kind of like one person you know who's just who's just kind of leading the whole thing everyone is together and that is much harder to do when you can't properly rehearse you know you're told like your rehearsal has to be very very limited for this because we just need to have people in the room for as little as as, as possible so you have all that kind of stuff just the fact that you can't debrief in the same way you've got to kind of do your your chat about the show on whatsapp afterwards or you know you've got to do it masked sat very very far away from each other because i think the show the thing that i'm really proud of is is when you watch that show back if you watch one it looks relatively like a regular piece of television it looks like the environment is fairly normal except for the fact that there's no laughter um but to actually do it it was anything but normal you know it was totally surreal and strange and i was just so blown away by all the improvisers on stage but also richard nishani for just being able to be creative like being in a you know having to go through a process that i think makes you feel constricted and a bit worried and not particularly creative like to then just be able to just ditch that for an hour and just be fleet of foot and fun and just kind of go where joy takes you i think that's an amazing skill um you know the same with just like the design process for coming up with the bunker like we couldn't do round table discussions obviously and work out what everything looked like everything was done on zoom with screen shares and stuff or just being like i can't see that so i'm just going to trust you you know the production manager and david doing the lighting like it was all just like all that stuff was incredible and then you know there's the other side of it as well just the actual production side of of getting it ready like how do you build a ticketing platform how do you host it like what company's going to host it can we do that how do you make sure that the broadband works how do you make sure that it doesn't cut out if it does cut out like how can we deal with all the different customer responses and make sure that people are getting a a valuable experience because the whole reason for doing this was just to try and entertain people is that a good answer or is that just a little waffle i'm not sure No, I think that's a very good answer. I think those those kind of things, you know, it's obviously mm-hmm. on everyone's mind at the moment. And I suppose as well, like some of the more kind of boring practical aspects of getting a show up with, you know, COVID restrictions and stuff are really, really difficult. But I would hope that it would, you know, give other artists um, or other theatre companies or whatever, like, the the courage to kind of go, okay, so it's, yeah, it's a bit of a bore lake, but you, it can be done. And it's one of those things that actually if you hmm. have the right people who are willing to say yes to enough kind of crazy things, then actually you can kind of do anything you, you desire in a way. And just everything on that show, like everything that to do anything just comes with so many new steps, you know, like how do you get everyone into a room? Well, people can't get on a bus. So everyone's going to have to either drive themselves or get taxis. Okay. So then once they're there, how do we know that they're not contracting, you know, that illness? Well, they've got to be tested straight away, but also to make sure that they've not been incubating the disease, then they've got to be tested three days before that as well in a lab. Okay. So once you've tested everyone in the building, 
then you know who's doing that well you've got to get a nurse okay so the nurse is there how does the nurse travel um like once you've had all the testing done what do you do with all the swabs literally you've got a rehearsal room or a theater space that's got actual clinical waste in so then who removes the clinical waste so there's all these different like problems that have to be solved just to get to a point where people are sat in a room together two meters apart um you know and that that's why i just thought like you know it's such a team effort like helen the company manager dealing with all all that kind of stuff like where does the waste goes and, sp- and speaking to the company that picks the waste up and all that kind of stuff making sure that they don't come into the room and we're in the room because we can't be in the room with the, all that just just a myriad of different issues and i just thought everyone had such a can-do spirit to it all but not just a can-do spirit, also like a deeply health and safety conscious spirit to, to it, which is such a hard balance to strike, like being yeah, yeah. really, really careful, making sure there's no risk, but also being like, we can do this, we can make it happen. And we had our testing regime for the Christmas run. And then when we extended, we met with our health and safety consultants again. And they said, because of the new variant and all this stuff, we, mm. we, you know, we believe it has a shorter incubation period. Therefore, people can be contagious within 24 hours instead of 72. And we said, okay, well, what does that mean for our regime? And they said, well, actually, now you need to test people uh, every day instead of every three days. Um, and that obviously tripled the budget of the testing, which is already expensive. Um, and obviously, people are getting swabbed every day. And obviously, in some senses, we're very fortunate to be being swabbed every day. But in some other senses, being swabbed every day is uh, <laughs> not very nice. So, so people's noses were kind of raw, and we and, and that was a problem. And also, <laughs> we just you couldn't get the like, swab on the nose by just, the uh, end. Yeah, it was that was Sorry. brutal. Listening to John having a COVID <laughs> test is one of the most haunting. Oh mate, it is <laughs> truly haunting. Uh, a haunting experience. Everyone in the COVID waiting area listening to John through a. Uh, it's also a Great Gatsby themed room because we're recording at immersive uh, London, where Great Gatsby, the immersive experience, normally is. We're in like a, a secret study uh, for the testing. It's very odd, and then the it's waiting like a door area for a bookcase. Yeah, it's like a secret yeah. door. Yeah, and so and then um, a nurse you go is there in... door. <laughs> and there's like a bed in there, and like loads of like old books and a drinks trolley that's like a globe, and like just hearing John just like gacking up when it just sounded like sort of a fox was attacking an owl. <laughs> it's totally weird because yeah. you're in this really luxurious study and then you go into this secret bedroom like like you said where where um you know where gatsby would sleep and then in there is this nurse in full ppe with all this different medical equipment but yeah my my nostrils just wouldn't admit the swab by the end of the run um because it was it was too swollen well, there you go that's a nice the swab. <laughs> that's what the nurse said she said it won't admit it <laughs> Very painful. But that is to, the quote of this podcast. <laughs> um, so let's we are, I, mean, I think it's difficult, isn't it? Because oh, yeah, no, go for it. Do move I'm, on. I'm moving something. I'm moving something. Unless you have something in music. Um, but I want to move on from swabbing and COVID um, to a do, question do. that. Do. Um, I'm very happy. <laughs> a, uh, a question that quite a few people have asked, but. Andy, this is your question. He says, um, "Can you tell us a little about a little bit about any obstacles in potentially making the Mischief Movie Night shows available online after the live streams? Is it to do with rights, or are there creative considerations as well?" Or 
I think mainly creative. I mean, I think it could be, you know, mm. technically it can be done. I think that, um, you know, and we could all, we could sort the rights, but I think that um, it's, yeah, basically, I think we, 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 it's been talked about. We are, I think, worried that, you know, it's got such a special kind of energy as a live event that you join. Uh, even though you join from your house, you still sort of buy a ticket and turn up in that way. Um, and it's ha- really happening. And the social media suggestions are really coming in. And the audience on the Zoom panel are really there, really saying things in the moment. Um, and that's really cool and really special. And, and um, you know, we've got the countdown to the start and then it starts. I think that's great. And I worry, I think, that if we made them available as just like episodes of something that you would just watch regularly, it might detract from a potential future run of it that we would do as a live stream thing and maybe it wouldn't but i think that's sort of part of our thinking but we're we're sort of i think deliberating that currently and uh, i don't know we you know um I, I don't know i i don't know either way really i think a big part of it for me is that it's um if you were to release them afterwards it um disarms the value of them in in the <clears throat> in the moment and it's kind of mm-hmm. like you might not worry so much about booking a ticket because you feel oh i have to be part of this live event that's only going to happen at this time um and actually oh i don't need to worry about it because they'll release them all afterwards and i could just watch them as and when as we're actually there's something really mm. yeah. uh, really special about going oh I'm, I'm i'm taking time out of my day to tune into this hopefully really cool thing that i'll never get to see again and i think that's what makes it really special Yeah, I mean, yeah, I suppose there's, I the, there's the old, the old phrase of you know, leave the wanting more, and I think that uh, that's very true. You know, it's good to sort of go out and be like, oh, you know, actually, I could do a bit more of that rather than just giving people so much that they're kind of like, oh, well, I've, that's more than enough of that. <laughs> you know, so I think that uh, uh, that's what's special that. about theatre, isn't it? That that's why in an age of kind of on demand and streaming where you can literally have anything you want and you can watch it as many times as you want. That's why theatre is still really, really special because it's one night, there's no night like it and then it's gone and it can't be re-shown within reason. And I think it's, 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 it's like you said, Dave, it's, it's striking the balance between making sure you retain that. Um, but also you, you're making sure that it's available if people, if, you know, if people have missed it and if people really, if it really meant a lot to them and it really made them laugh and it's nice to, to be able to facilitate that and again you know make the show accessible but um yeah like, like it's in, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion because it's improv as well and like because the whole like hence that it's 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 uh i forgot what the word is but it's it, 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 it it's it's ethereal improv isn't it because it's kind of it's there and then it's gone but if it's just always there then does it does it make the improv less special when you watch it later on but i don't know it's the answer good discussion yeah it is yeah it's definitely something worth worth thinking about um and i think uh well i suppose this actually leads on to the idea of kind of doing more of them um annabelle asks uh, it was amazing you were able to reach such a global audience and a great way to make theater accessible for those unable to travel do you think mischief movie night would be something you would carry on post pandemic I definitely yeah. hope so. I mean, it's it's yeah. enormous fun to do, and um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I I think we definitely should do some more. Exactly what form that takes, I think, is still to be decided. But I thought the live stream thing was really really fun. Like I said earlier, I think like a live 
live stream and live audience sort of hybrid, I think could be a really exciting thing where you kind of have the best of both worlds and, and people might come and see one or two shows live, but they might watch the rest of the run, you know, at home. And that's, that's, that's really exciting. I think definitely. And plus, like I, we were so amazed by the internet because I don't think we thought anyone would necessarily watch at all, you know. Um, no. And so to have audience in over seventy countries across the run is just amazing. So, so, so sort of humbled by that. Yeah, I was, I was really taken aback by the, the the sheer volume of people that watch it, the sheer amount of households and and some shows. Mm. Yeah, just having thirty, forty countries watching at any one time it was just a kind of quite amazing feeling, really. Just going, oh wow! There's someone yeah. in like Malaysia watching us run around in a room being stupid. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Looking at um, the breakdown as well. Like some of the countries, obviously, there's not many people watching. There was only one person watching in Vietnam, and I kind of like that <laughs> because it's just like that. It's just that that's the only person in Vietnam watching, and that's 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 special as well, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's so weird. That just the idea of someone going, yeah, it's just just me. But I suppose it's fine. Like if one person is just buying a ticket, but then when you're like one person in the entire nation has gone, this this show is for me. It's, it's really special. It's really really special. I think there were seventy seven thousand households in the end who mm. who watched. Some of those are people who who watched again and again and again. Um, but you know, when you think about it, lots of households, um, it's you know, it's two people watching, as, um, or four people watching, or three. Um, so it probably comes down to you know, probably is that around quarter of a million people watched that, watched those twenty five shows, twenty six shows, which is like I think it, like I don't know, like like Ken said, we really didn't expect many people to watch, and so it was it was really like emotional on that New Year's Eve show. I remember just I was just. It was just so emotional to just to just know there was like, like just for that one. I think it was seven thousand households tuning in, and just like they're special times, aren't they? Your, your Christmas Eve and your New Year's Eve, they're they're special. So it's a it's a real um, it's a real honour to, to to have people decide to 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 spend it with us in our empty room, improvising a movie. Yeah, yeah, that that did feel really cool. And uh, yeah, that people yeah give up their kind of valued holiday time to kind of share it with us. Mm. Um, we are, where are we? We're, yeah, we're probably coming to the end now. So I'm going to close this out Ooh. with uh, a few little bits. Um, so the question kind of for everyone, really, what, um, what was your uh, favourite sort of standout moment from, uh, from Mischief Movie Night? Is there anything that sticks with you? Uh, ideally, a moment that is good. And ideally, a moment that that died on its ass that <laughs> you felt bad about. Oh, I think like I mean, there's so many really. You go first. I'm thinking. Well, I thought um, I particularly enjoyed oh. uh, Lauren Shearing's performance in the pantomime and the musical number she did there. I thought that was excellent. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, there was yeah. a few great songs as well. I really enjoyed the song, the book song in Careless Whisper. Also, I thought that was pretty. That was pretty good. Yeah, there was a lot, um, of, and then, uh, a lot um, of really yeah. good stuff. A lot of good Nancy stuff. Nancy getting the hat on you. Known for us singing. 
Mm. Yeah, that was well. That's probably that was great. Nancy getting the hat on you. Career. That was great. Yeah, and the yeah, response yeah, yeah. to it, the reaction, because you know, obviously there was no hope that it would happen. Then it did. I loved that. Just going back to the Dane performance from Lauren, I really loved um, Richard and Ishani's decision halfway through to stop the uh, drum and cymbal sound effects um, and just leave those innuendos hanging in the silent room. I thought that was really, really funny. Um, the, the, the lonely, the lonely, the loneliest conga line. I think, like, just because it went on for so mm. long, and I, you could really see, you could, you could see Harry really being ready to stop doing that and it not stopping, and <laughs> him realizing oh, it's not going to stop for quite a while. Um, the midnight show was really special. I just thought that was a really fun thing to be part of, and um, um, and and everyone yeah. getting a bit of revenge on me. I thought that was quite fun. Just you know, quarter to one in the morning, just to be tap dancing and doing a limerick about a window. Bry's um, throat singing. <laughs> that was a very funny. Um, that was that was quite funny. The mighty throat. Yes, that was, yes. that was very good. That was good. Yeah, mighty um, throat. Yeah, love that. Yeah, that was great. All the sequel Sundays as well, they were fun just because I thought it was it was just a cool event. It was just, The day felt like a bit of an event and it was quite a fun thing to have accomplished at the end of it. Yeah, I think they were some of my favourite shows, actually, the, the sequel ones. Were, it felt yeah, like they were fun. Kind of new thing. Oh, yeah, the Ridiculous Council was fun, wasn't it? And on all of the, the... I remember the sequence of walking through the pyramid backwards mm. <laughs> because the footage yes. on the green screen yeah, was yeah. running the other way which was very very funny the idea of walking into this dangerous place and not looking where you're going <laughs> was really funny. what was your fit for me it was the, it's got to be the um there was two it was ellie disguising herself as steve peeps um really <laughs> just yes i'm very rarely caught off guard and that just absolutely the speed and the commitment of it just floored me and then um, also um, the salacious smiling cabinet like it was also just that yeah, that was one yeah. of the awards and like just the look on harry's face this weird sort of crooked half smile that sort of like disguised behind <laughs> this sort of like brittle posh veneer of a man kind of like walking on and just being like i'm about to do this but i don't know what it is so I'm just going to shout salation as an idea and then just singing that song and then the song cutting off before he got to finish it and then was just like, oh, and was just left so humiliated. <laughs> it really made me... Oh, the ending of Trous! Trous! was just... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> there was also a moment that a lot of people will forget as well, like really early on. I think it was the first episode in Lasers and Quasars where he was the boyfriend speaking backwards. And that that's just like premium yeah. Kershaw or Goose Clown, like taking it so, just taking nonsense, like literally speaking <laughs> nonsense so earnestly as if he's still at Rada performing Hamlet. Is, is That really made me laugh more than it should have done. I liked the relationship between Lauren and Nancy in the Valentine's Day special. I thought that was really nice. Um, and all the kind of stuff yeah. about um, Wuthering Heights, the, the, the funny, silly stuff about, you know, who had read the book, but then also the kind of stuff about not needing the Heathcliff. And I thought that was, thought that was just a nice, it's quite, it's like, obviously it's a show where the main currency is nonsense 
and silliness and people failing and, and, you know, coming up short when trying to achieve something. But in improv, occasionally, there's a moment when actually it does pay off and you tell a really lovely story or you perform a really lovely song. And I thought in the Valentine's Day special, there was there was lots of just really lovely relationships. Um, and I thought that was that was really special, like characters you really cared about. Yeah, there was some really cool stuff, actually, when you kind of, they're really nice when you sort of stumble onto those things. Um, and when so you actually, died as Batley uh, the Bat, that was very sad. Was, that was, that was very sad. Mm. Yeah, that was, um, you know, I do, I'm, I'm often cited for uh, trying to find different ways to die. I do kill a lot of them. I like to set up a good character and then kill them. Always, always in the game for that. Um, I'm going to actually finish now with a little um, something that I've written down here because John, you sort of inspired me to finish with a little comedy. So I'm now going to finish with all of our attempts at our best and worst radio voice. Um, so why don't we, Hen? Why don't we start with you, uh, like a really smooth radio DJ, and then kind of what you, what your worst version of that would be? What my what? So what my best and worst would be, or just my worst? Yeah, yeah. Do do your best and then do your worst, and just see what the contrast is. Best smooth radio voice. Okay. Well, I suppose you know the best way to do a radio voice is to get really close to the mic and then sometimes <laughs> speak quite quickly and then sometimes really take it slow. That's yeah, my best. Voice for radio. Well, thanks. I don't mm. know. It's a bit kind of, it's not enough pitch range, I think. It's it's all very, <laughs> uh, it's that uh, noise, you know. It's quite I, deep. <laughs> um, and then well, my worst version of that is, um, I don't know. That would be like I don't know, like a bad, a bad radio person would <laughs> would be, I don't know, muffled. Welcome to radio, radio boxer, and um, we've got a lot of great stuff <coughs> on the show. Just like That's my the worst. person who's ill. <laughs> yeah, the person who's ill in, in a different room from the mic. <laughs> yeah, Mike's a different room, not very well. Okay, yeah, that was really good. And John, what's yours, best and worst? Or are they both just going to be well, I mean, the best... Well, like, so I, I do have hang-ups on about my voice, which is usually why, you know, in the TV show, I usually play voiceless characters almost now. Um, <laughs> but I suppose my best would be just to kind of... Uh, you know, it's deeper and it's more considered. So, oh, you're what you're listening to the radio. See, it's not. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's very hard, and I, I get very confused about what my accent is because I've spent so much time with you guys. So part of me is like, hello, welcome. But then a bit of me is like, all right, how's it going, everyone? And it's kind of so I'm, I and I, I can't I can't control which one I'm doing at which moment. So, um, but then I suppose the worst version is the impression you all do of me, which would just be like, hello, everybody, how's it going? But that's, but that's quite nice. That, I think that's, I think that's a nice, I think that's nice, you know. I'd listen to that on drive time radio. Definitely. Yeah. I think You're I could, do, I'd be very good as a sports commentator. <laughs> I could do sports. Yeah, oh, and he's passed the ball. Oh, he's yeah. passed the ball again. Oh, he's going down the wing. There's the cross. Can he get the header? Oh, he's got the header. There's the- the cup and the jubilation is wild out there. 
It's the day. Last day. No, I could do that. That's quite good, I think. But I couldn't do like. Yeah, you're gonna I have to put do... a warning on this. It's like that is peaks. That is so loud. Like, That's a warning. Like, when it gets to, like fifty-eight minutes, be careful. Like literally, you can see the little bars on the thing are like. It's just there, there's no peaks and troughs. It's just a solid. Oh, block. sorry. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> listeners. Sorry, I'll move the mic back. But I couldn't do breakfast. I couldn't do like a breakfast radio. Like Hen, you could. You'd be lovely to you know wake up to like good morning. I can do breakfast like, radio. Eat your breakfast now. Have your eggs. <laughs> uh, that should be a breakfast show. I could do that. Yeah. Don't forget your toast. Don't thing. forget the toast. Eat the toast. I see it's there less was, good. There was a when we did play the goes wrong in Edinburgh. We did. There was a whole running gag backstage that Robert Grove was doing a show, another show, oh, yeah. called, <laughs> oh, called Bat's Big Breakfast. Yes, <laughs> I remember that. Hanging yeah. upside down as a bat. Cooking breakfast on a grill, <laughs> talking about like the the headlines of the day, the news. I was paying breakfast. Yeah, yeah did he do like breakfast. ten shows a day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert Grove at the Edinburgh Festival definitely does ten shows a day. <laughs> Most of them poorly attended. Um, but yeah, Bat's Big Breakfast was his big show, and he always had problems because he was hanging upside down for an hour, so the blood always like <laughs> pooled in his arms. And he, he couldn't cook the bacon. <laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. I remember just having loads of like weird Robert Grove issues in Edinburgh. Just like him backstage and just being like, "I've I've decided to burn all of the costumes," and us just doing those like weird improvs before we started to get into character. Oh, yes, they were a lot yes. of fun. Yes, a true artiste. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so I'm going to use my best and worst radio, radio voice to sign off now. Yes, um, do. Yeah. Yes. So, um, let me let me see. I don't know. Should I? How's this? Should I turn the gain down? If I turn it down, I can move in, but then I don't want to like. Okay. You can't adjust your um, settings. That's you know that's a whole different. Oh, that's different. But okay, pure voice. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for watching. Watching? No, already got it wrong. Listening? You're not watching anything. It's because I can see you guys on video. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Mischief Movie Night. No, I've got it wrong again. Mischief Movie Night is Mischief Makers. This is chaos. This is absolute chaos. Right. <clears throat> Take okay. three. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> oh, I had a really good point I wanted to mention, and, and it's gone now. I did, it's, it's gone. Oh. What it was just nice. about the title of the show, but it's 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 past now. It's past. I was about to do take three. Well, I feel like you've got to say it now. Yeah, no, it was it? just it was just it was just with mischief movie night as, as in general. Like I think that like we've we've tried loads of different kind of strap lines, you know, um, starring them, directed by you, and an improvised movie live on stage. All different things to kind of get across what the show is, and or find just like a sense of like intrigue and excitement. And I thought, that, and I thought it was interesting that in the end, the the, the answer that kind of lied in two two letters, which was just adding in to the title. And I think all of a sudden that turned it into this totally gettable idea that made people be like, "Oh, that's a re- that sounds like a cool thing." And it's, I just thought that was really interesting. And then you know, when we do it in a theatre or in a studio, or if we do an outdoor tour again, should it be mischief movie night out? Because again, that that that's a really exciting concept. That, that sounds more. That sounds more like a, a sort of like protest show, 
where it's like get mischief out. <laughs> oh, maybe it shouldn't do then. Maybe maybe it shouldn't. But that that was my point. I mean, shouldn't. I think that's an interesting, yeah, good point. I think it's just as well we chose those letters, though, because if we'd gone Mystery Movie Nights, orb, I think Mystery Movie Nights, so just like yeah. Just <laughs> um, all right, no, we fit an hour. Right, I've got to sign off. All right, ladies and gentlemen, okay. thank you very much for listening to uh, Mischief Makers with me, Dave Hearn, and Henry Lewis and Jonathan Sayer. Do follow thank us you. on all of our social media business. Um, to get latest updates and that and then here's my worst radio voice um, keep laughing and keep making mischief <laughs> <laughs> that was very good if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers with Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.